We are continuing our sermon series through the Beatitudes that we are calling Being Salt. Well, Being Salty. It's, it's, an, it's an adjective. Being Salty. And not like salty in the sense of like angry salty, but like salty, like, like having the flavor of Jesus on us, right? Like we want to be the kind of Christians who carry the flavor and essence of who Jesus is on our person, right? Like that's, that's, the, like the, that's the heart of what this is about. So I want to ask you a question because honestly, we're all pretty much Americans here. And so probably it's very rare that an American ever goes hungry um, because we have McDonald's and things like that. And we make bad choices sometimes, but we usually are able to get food. Um, even, even if you're really struggling, if, if, you've, if you've not had the resources there, we live in an incredibly prosperous country where it's possible, even if you don't have the financial resources of your own, to have something provided for you. And that's kind of amazing. This is one of the first cultures in history that has had that, where, where it's almost hard to go hungry in America. And, uh, and, and I know there's still work to be done, but, but that's kind of amazing. Now, the reason I bring that up is because I imagine that most of us don't understand hunger in the way that Jesus and his, uh, and his companions understood hunger, and people in Jesus' day understood hunger, because the reality is, if you got a bad crop one year, you were in big trouble, yeah. right? Famine was a thing back then. We don't see it very often in our day. Uh, I thank God to live in, and now I'm not saying we're impervious to it, because uh, we don't want to tempt the wrath of God, right? I mean, but uh, I'm just saying, but not that, not that God would be, you know, wanting to hurt us in any way, but I'm just saying, like, like I, I don't want to be presumptuous and think it would never happen to us today, but we live in a different world, and God has blessed the world. I wonder if we realize how much God has blessed the world today. That, that even, even like, that, that prosperity is reaching out to the far reaches. Now, there are still places that are untouched by this. There are, there are places where people will understand hunger like we don't understand it here. And there are people even in our country who, who, even though there may be help available, they don't go and get it for whatever reasons, and so they understand. But what I'm saying is that most of us don't, but we need to put ourselves in the shoes of Jesus and the people of his day. Because, uh, because in that day, they understood what it was like to be hungry. They understood because, you know, they, if, if they were down and out, they couldn't just go and, and get help from the government. Or, 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 just, or go and find a food pantry somewhere that would, that would su- supply them with food. They didn't have those luxuries that we have today. And when Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst... They understood what it was like to be hungry and thirsty. Because the, the thirst thing is a whole other thing, right? That's a whole other thing because we don't understand this because we've got clean water. And unless you live in like Flint, Michigan, you probably have clean water. And I think they even got that fixed. So that's good. But, but, but in our country, it is rare that you don't have clean water. But in those days, it was rare that you had clean water. And so in order to get a drink, you had to find a source and you had to purify the water. You either had to boil it or pour some wine in it um, to, to, you know, some, uh, some alcohol that would kill the, the germs in it. That was kind of, by the way, we don't realize this, but most of their wine drinking, that's what their wine was for, purifying water. I mean, when they had a party, they drink it like we drink it in America. But, but most of the time, they would, they would use it to purify 
And it wasn't so much something that they were using to, like, it's not like Jesus and his disciples and all these people were getting drunk all the time. They were using, they were diluting it, and it was purifying the water. So they're, they're, they had a context that is hard for us to understand, but I think it's important for us to put ourselves in their shoes as much as we can today. If we're going to understand what Jesus is calling us to when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. But I imagine that maybe we can at least connect our minds to a time in our lives where we were thirsty. Or maybe a little hungry, you know, I don't know. I, I'll be honest with you guys, I've definitely never gone hungry. Um, but, but, but I have had times where I wanted food. <laughs> um, and typically this has been self-imposed because I, uh, I, I occasionally will find that Let's, let's just say it's easy for me to gain weight, okay? Um, it's easy for me to gain weight, and there are times in my life when I get on the scale and I realize, okay, Lord, I have to do some repentance here, and we've got to walk this back. And when that happens, that means I put myself on a diet. And that's horrible. Can I, so, someone give me an amen on that one. That, that diets are horrible, okay? They're terrible, and um, but... But occasionally, you know, I, you know, just to keep the keep keep myself from just going crazy, I have to, I have to go on a diet. And so I have at times been hungry, um, you know, typically for something like maybe a cheeseburger or something. And I know what it's like to to, y'all. I know what it's like to go to Brahms and order a chicken sandwich because you're trying to be healthy. And I'm not talking about the fried chicken. I'm talking about the grilled chicken. And y'all, y'all feeling my pain here? I, yep. How, who, who else has gone to Chick-fil-A and gotten the grilled chicken because you were trying to lose weight and then like you got like the kale salad? Anybody? I must be more committed to weight loss than, um, but no, I mean like it's, it's but I still got to go to Chick-fil-A, you know? I mean, even if I just get a pickle, um, it's, it's important. Um, I feel like that's some type of communion when Christians go to Chick-fil-A. We're just sort of like all there. We're like, oh, it's blessed chicken. Uh, anyway, but... Um, but, but, but I know I've, I've, at times in my life, I've, I've desired something greatly. And I definitely have been thirsty, like out on a hike, and I didn't bring enough water. And even though I may not understand the extent to which Jesus and his companions and also the people of his day understood these things, we can connect with it on some level, and we can try to imagine what would it be like to be thirsty times ten. What would it be like the hunger I've experienced times 10? And that's the sort of hunger and thirst that Jesus is referring to. So I want to go back to the beginning of the chapter again and just read this in context like we've been doing so we can just sort of wrap our minds around what Jesus is, is, is saying as a whole and then we'll come back to the focus verse for today, which is verse 6. So here's what the word says. When he saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain and he sat down, or after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then he began to teach them by saying, now, uh, we, we've said this several times, but I want to remind us again, he's talking specifically to the disciples. He calls the disciples to himself, and this is a sermon for the disciples. So what does that mean? This is a sermon for you, Christian. Okay? Now, I'm not saying the world can't benefit from this. There's some good ethical teaching here. But this is not an ethical teaching as much as it is a spiritual teaching. He's pointed to the church and he's saying, Hey, church, this is for you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for, for righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven. For they persecuted the prophets before you in the same way. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on by people. Salt. Salt has a particular quality. Particular characteristic about it. And uh, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but I've tasted a lot of different kinds of salt, and they're all salty. That's the common thing among salt. Uh, my favorite kind of salt is Lowry seasoned salt, right? Because it's salt, but then there's some garlic and some paprika. It's just, it's delicious, you know? And so what kind of salt is Jesus? Uh, he, he's, well, uh, we could talk about the kind of spices Lowry's put puts into their seasoned salt, but these are the kind of spices put into followers of Christ because they're the, they're the type of spices that are present in Jesus himself, and that is the Beatitudes. So we know Jesus was poor in spirit. He proved that to us with his actions. We know that Jesus mourned because he was weeping over the state of the world. We know that Jesus was meek because he put himself aside for our sake. But what about hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Well, let's talk about a couple things uh, relating to this. First, I, I want to read this quote from, um, this is, uh, oh, I got to go all the way back to the beginning. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh, I want to remind us. Yeah, we said this, we've said this every week, and I, I need to say it again. The fundamental problem of humanity is that we have chosen to walk in self-centeredness with our first father, Adam, rather than in self-sacrifice with God. That's what messed this whole thing up in the first place. We followed Adam down his path instead of pursuing Father God in the way of righteousness. Okay, so, but, but I think we need to determine what is righteousness, though. We've, and we've said this before, and I'm, I'm repeating myself, and that's fine, because I know you forgot it by now anyway. Uh, so, um, but, but I know how this goes, you know, preacher preaches, you remember like one thing, you know, so it's cool. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll keep repeating them, and eventually we'll remember it all. It'll be great. Um, but, but the idea of, of righteousness, it's being right before God, right? Righteousness. Now, we oftentimes think of righteousness as something that's within us. Like I, I've, I've done step A, B, and C, and now I'm righteous. I kept myself pure and holy and unstained from the world, and now I am righteous. But that's not necessarily what it means to be righteous. Those are parts of it, but those are more of states of being because of, of the fact that you're in the Father. Righteousness means acceptance at its basest form. So to say I am righteous means I am accepted before God the Father. So when Jesus says, blessed are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness, what he's saying is blessed are those whose deepest desire is to be right with the Father. Now, we, we know that most people don't live that way. And the reality is, 
if we're honest about it, even those of us who are committed Christians and who follow Jesus for a long time, we're still struggling with it, right? Um, I will be honest with you and tell you that I have days where the Father's not my chief desire. And I have to repent on a regular basis. That, that is a part of being a Christian is this constant daily repentance, right? That's why Paul says we've got to take up our cross daily. Jesus only had to die once, but I've got to die every day. You know? So every day I've got to die to myself. And if I don't die to myself, what happens? The flesh takes over. And I get to the end of the day and I'm looking back at my day and I say, boy, I just didn't really honor the Lord today. And I hate that. Because I really want to honor the Lord, right? He changed my heart. He gave me a new heart. And that new heart really wants to honor Him. But I'm, we're like the Apostle Paul. He says, man, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Paul says, the things I, the things I, I, I know I ought to do, I oftentimes don't do. Paul says, Paul in Romans 7 tells us, I struggle. Paul says, I struggle against my flesh. But it's a struggle. It's an active struggle against my sin nature towards the nature of Jesus. I'm I'm struggling towards Jesus. I want to be like him. And that's a daily decision. Uh, Tim Keller says that it uh, it is not in the whales of life that character is formed, but it's in the guppies of life. In other words, the point he's trying to make is that it's not the big things where a character is formed. It's the little things day by day. It's my momentary decision to follow Christ. In other words, if I follow Christ in the small things consistently, eventually what I'm going to find is that in the larger things, I will have the character built in me to also stand for Christ and walk with Christ in those moments. But if I don't live for Jesus day to day, I can't expect to be strong when the big thing comes along. The kingdom value that we see in this passage is desiring and pursuing righteousness. The desire and the pursuit of right standing with the Father. The world's value, which is actually the opposite of this, right? There's an opposite to every one of these. That could be a whole other sermon series, but I'm not going to preach it here because we're Christians. And, um, um, and, but you can, you can work it out in your mind. And we've kind of done a little bit of that work, but, but the main thing I want to focus on is the positive. But we're going to mention the negative because the negative, the world's value is the pursuit of personal needs and interests over anything else and especially over God. The results, according to Jesus' word here, is that those who pursue the Father will find themselves full. Right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Right? Then we can assume the negative, the inverse of that is true, of people who refuse to hunger and thirst after righteousness, but rather hunger and thirst after their own personal gain, their personal needs and interests, that they will be perpetually empty. And we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a minute. I, w- I want to read this. Um, this. This is the example of Christ given to us in Isaiah. Okay, here's what he says. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. 
He shall not judge by what he sees, uh, by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The idea of righteousness being the belt is significant because the belt keeps your pants on. Okay? Think about it for a minute. What he's saying is, is if, if, if we're wearing the full armor of God and we don't have the belt, it might fall apart, right? Your, your whole outfit might come undone right there. And so this idea of being accepted by the Father, being in the Father, being a child of God, if that is the heart and soul of who we are, it holds all of it together. Why was Jesus so strong and powerful? Well, part of the reason he was is because he knew who he was in the Father. He knew he was right with his Father. He knew he had good standing. He was righteous. And that righteousness was outside of his mortal flesh. It was a part of his nature and who he was. So that's why when the devil showed up to tempt him, the devil couldn't get him to waver because Jesus knew who he was. And so when Jesus heard the devil's temptations, he just said, Nah, no thanks. What I have over here is better. <laughs> I may be hungry, and that bread would sure be tasty, but let me, I tell you, the communion with my Father is better. You know, uh, it, it, the idea of, of power and, and having influence, boy, that's really cool, but let me tell you that, uh, that my relationship with my Father is more important, and I know He already promised He would give me everything. I guess that's a question. Do we trust the Father? Here's another one from Isaiah, Isaiah 42, 1 through 4, about Jesus. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice on the earth and the, uh, in the, the coastlands with his law. Something that I think is amazing about Christ and why this example is so important, well, uh, clearly, I mean, Christ is the, he is the ultimate human, right? He came to show us, he, to be an example for us of what it is like to be truly human. But Jesus was fully sufficient in himself, right? His relationship with the Father and the Spirit. He didn't need anything else. He was fully sufficient. He was fine. And he had it all, and yet he refused to make his life about basking in all that he had. Instead, he gave it up. He gave up his riches, his wealth. He even laid down his power. Scripture says he didn't do anything except for what he saw the Father doing. And Jesus himself was filled with the Holy Spirit, just like we are. He walked in the power of the Spirit. Now, did Jesus have the power in and of himself? Yes! But he instead chose to lay that down. Instead of running with that, he chose to lay that down and live like we live to show us what it, what it was like to be a true man. He gave up everything he had to make wrong things into rights. To straighten the crooked paths in this world. Why? Because Jesus had a hunger for things to be right. He had a hunger for righteousness. He had a thirst for righteousness. 
The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 59 that when God looked at the earth and saw how broken and messed up it was, God was, he was sad and dismayed that there was no one to bring him salvation. And then the scripture says, so his own arm brought salvation for him. What? What kind of God is this? The kind of God who looks around into a problem that isn't his and he's so broken about it and he's so broken over his creation, running away from him and, 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 and being cut off from him. By the way, because you remember that those who hunger and thirst after their own personal interests and rather than God are going to be left perpetually empty. And the Father was not okay with that for you and me. The Father looked out at us and he said, this is not who I made you to be. This is not who you are. This is who you've become because you followed the wrong voice. Because you followed your own passions instead of trusting in me. And because you followed the devil instead of trusting in me, this is what you've become. Empty. To where we're always feeling like I have to run to the next thing to be filled. Because I'm never full in myself. That's what our world looks like, isn't it? Everyone always running from one thing to the next, one high to the next high, hoping, hey, this is the thing that's finally going to fill me up. How many people have you known where it's, it's it, maybe it's a drug, maybe it's from one relationship to the next relationship. Man, I, I, I've been listening to this, this, uh, this true crime documentary, and, and this, this told a story about this woman, and she was married, she was a 30-year-old woman who had been married four times because every husband disappointed her in a different way. First husband was wealthy, but he died. She, was, she married a man who was much older, but, she, she, he, but he was still fairly young. She was a 17-year-old widow. And then, and then there was uh, the, the second husband. She married him. They had a child, and then he died. And she was a 24-year-old widow again. And then there was the, the third man who abused her, and they divorced. And then there was the fourth she thought loved her, and this man didn't tell her for five years. He just promised marriage. He didn't tell her he was married in another city. And he just traveled to where she lived because it was during the gold rush era. And he had her in promised marriage. And when she found out that he was married, it destroyed her life. I've known a lot of people like that. It's from one relationship to the next. And I just want to tell you, people are always going to disappoint you. <laughs> whether, it's, where it's, whether it's that kind of a romantic relationship or whether it's a friendship, friends disappoint you. Because none of us are, no human is Jesus. Maybe it's TV shows. And that last episode of Seinfeld was terrible. You know, I mean, it, you were just, it just des destroyed your, your life and you've never recovered, okay? Um, I, but whatever it is, like we're chasing from one thing to the next. Wealth, electronics, technology. Y'all know you're coveting that new iPhone, right? Uh, maybe I'm just talking to me. I don't know. Um, but, but it's from one thing to the next. And we just think, man, this next thing, 
And, and for Christians, maybe we, re- we know those things aren't going to ultimately satisfy us, but we still kind of live like, man, I really need this thing. I need this thing for my life to be complete. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Not after the things of this world. The things of this world are always going to leave us empty. Always. Always going to leave us empty. That new iPhone is going to be so cool for about six months. And then they're going to come out with a bigger, better iPhone. And you're going to be like, oh man, that one's got a really nice camera. And it's really fast. And but it's always that way, right? Every new car is eventually a used car. And I like used cars, so that's cool for me. But, you know, like, uh, but, but, but the reality is in this world, everything is always wearing out. It's never going to last. And so Jesus comes in. He says, blessed are you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now, what is he saying? He's saying, listen, you're blessed You're empowered when you realize that the things of this world are never going to cut it for you. And you turn your heart back to the Father, away from the world. In other words, the opposite of what your father Adam did. And what most of us spend our entire lives doing are just what Adam and Eve did in the garden. Right? It's just on a different scale. You know, there's a reason why on the back of these iPhones, you can't see it because mine's dark. There's an apple with the bite taken out of it. You know what that symbolizes? You see, Steve Jobs knew what he was building here. Yeah. He, he, he said, hey, this is like the apple in the Garden of Eden. Once you bite it, you know, you can't stop. It's a funny joke. But, I, like, but that is actually what inspired the Apple logo. If you guys didn't know that, now you know. Um, but, but I, and I do find it to be funny cause I'm like, it is literally a theology joke on the back of this. And, and the guy wasn't even a believer, but that, I mean, that's, but he still knew how to make a good theology joke, but, but it is that way with, in life sometimes. And we find ourselves in these pursuits, just like our father, Adam, he reached up and grabbed a fruit. We don't know if it was really an apple. It doesn't matter. Probably was cause they're amazing. Probably a honey crisp. Anyway, he grabbed that, he grabbed the fruit and he bit it. And that's what he wanted more than anything else in that moment. That was his core desire. And can I say that your core desire says everything about who you are. The things that you desire the most say say everything about who you are and what you stand for. So if, if I'm a son of Adam, and just like my father Adam, I find myself looking at the world and saying, boy, what can satisfy me now? I'm not satisfied in God, so i got to go here and here and here and pursue all these things. Just like Adam, right? And just like Adam was left empty, kicked out of a garden, out of the presence of the Lord. You know, the garden was designed by God to be a temple, and Adam was the priest. And because he defiled himself, he couldn't be in God's presence anymore. And so he, the thing he thought would fulfill him actually took everything away from him. And remember what we talked about last week? It's the meek who will inherit the earth. And we said that, that people who, who refuse to put themselves aside to pursue God, people who refuse to, to turn away from self and towards God, will eventually find that everything they were working for, they're going to lose. 
in the same way. Those who hunger and thirst for anything other than God are going to have a day where they realize it was a complete and total waste of everything, every opportunity God had given them. And that is why Jesus says this to us. Because here's what he's trying to do for us. He says, I want you to avoid the mistake your father Adam made. And the mistake that we all are making, by the way, it's, it's not so much a mistake. A mistake is something you do on accident. It's intentional. He wants us to avoid the pitfalls that have been handed down to us from the previous generations all the way back to Adam. And what he's saying is what you have to do is reprogram. You've got to be reprogrammed. Your heart has to be reprogrammed so that your core desire is no longer the world and the things of this world and your own personal satisfaction. But rather, your greatest desire are the things of God, particularly his righteousness, being accepted by the Father, being his child. You know why the Rolling Stones can get no satisfaction? Because there's no satisfaction outside of Christ. Right? And our world is full of this idea. Of pursuing everything else except God for happiness and satisfaction. This is a uh, quote from Dallas Willard in his book, The Divine Conspiracy. And he was going through the Beatitudes and, and And so when he gets to this part, he says, Next are those who burn with desire for things to be made right. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. It may be that the wrong is in themselves. Perhaps they have failed so badly that night and day they cringe over their own sin and inwardly scream to be made pure. I felt that at times. How about you? When you have the presence of God in in you, you never realize how unholy you are until you have the Holy Spirit in in you. And your sin starts to get exposed because it's not just a conscience anymore, it's the voice of the Lord. Or it may be that they have been severely wronged, suffered some terrible injustice, and they are consumed with longing to see the injury set right, like parents who learn that, that the murder of their child has been quickly released from prison and is laughing at them. Yet the kingdom of the heavens has a chemistry that can transform even the past and make the terrible, irretrievable losses that human beings experience seem insignificant in the greatness of God. He restores our soul and fills us with the goodness of rightness. The purpose of God in your life, Christian, is to set your heart straight. To take your eyes off of whatever the golden calf is in your life. Take your eyes off of the thing that you cherish more than God. Because he knows that thing is going to kill you. You know, God's not just some like mean, mean, vindictive father up in the sky with a ruler waiting to smack you on the hands because you got out of line. That's not how the father is. If the Father brings chastisement into your life, if He brings difficulty into your life, it's because He's trying to keep you from running over a cliff. Right? Francis Schaeffer said, the purpose of God's chastisement 
is to cause us to acknowledge that the specific sin is sin. God's role in, in bringing a difficult thing into your life, or even just this teaching, saying, hey, listen, all of the things that you desire other than me are going to destroy you. The reason he brings that up is because God doesn't want you to have, is not because God doesn't want you to have any fun, okay? Or because God wants you to live this dull and boring life. Can I remind you that the early church, the Christians understood how God called them to live, and they had the best parties, and everybody wanted to hang out with them, right? Until Ananias and Sapphira, and then everyone was scared. But it's all right, you know. Um, but God does things in our midst, and, and that freaks people out sometimes. But, but Christians knew how to celebrate. Christians knew how to have a good time. The early church wasn't this stuck-up, like, like, I don't know, some of the, what the church today has become, where people look at us and they're like, I don't know about those guys, they're, they're too good for me. Like, we're not too good for you over here at New Covenant Fellowship. We're a bunch of broken people being restored, and we know it. And if you want to be restored too, you can come on over. And we would love to help you and, join, and you have, a, have you join us on this journey. We're all a work in progress. None of us are 100% perfect at pursuing righteousness like Jesus yet. But we are working on it. And God's working on us. I remember this, uh, this uh, old gospel song. I don't know who originally sung it, but Charlie Daniels had a version of it. And the song says, I'm a working on a building. Y'all ever heard of that song? It says, I'm a working on a building for my Lord. It's a Holy Ghost building. I'm like, yeah, it is. Woo! It's this body being restored. It's this, this, the character of this man who's broken and who's more like his father Adam than he wants to be. But Jesus Christ intervened and, and, and now he's doing a thing. And now, with the Holy Spirit, I'm working on a building too. To build to be built into the person that God created me to be instead of the person that I am as a result of my father Adam's choices, which came down to me making certain choices. Y'all know what I mean. We're all there. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are, are, are those of us whose deepest desire are the things of God rather than the things of this world whose deepest need in life is, is to be in the presence of the Father rather than to have the latest car. Or to watch the latest Netflix show. Or whatever. Whatever it is for you. You fill in the blank for yourself. But here's the thing about being hungry for righteousness. It cannot be passive. It cannot be passive. You can't say, I'm hungry for righteousness and then just sit down. And not do anything. Listen, you're not really hungry if you're not willing to go to the fridge. You know? It also can't be idle. You can't just expect someone else to bring it to you. Do you know that's not really how God works? God doesn't particularly care to just drop things in your lap. He wants you to work with Him. He gives you everything you need. He empowers you. I often talk about how the Christian life is, is, is kind of like a building. God poured the foundation. The foundation is His grace. And God delivered all the building materials. And now He says, all right, son, grab a hammer and come over here with me and let's get you worked out. And that's spiritual discipline, right? It's, we're joining God in the work of, of being discipled. That's a process. 
So if you want to be the kind of person who's truly hungry and thirsty for righteousness, this is not something that you can just sit and hope just happens to you. We have to intentionally make daily choices with the Holy Spirit's help. Paul says in Galatians, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, right? So we have to learn and, and, and allow God to teach us, and, and we've got to do certain things. I, I highly recommend picking this Bible up, not necessarily mine specifically, but picking your Bible up at least once a day and asking the Holy Spirit to speak to you and reading God's Word. Why would we not? We all have like 10 of these laying around the house. And, and there's like also one on your phone. Or five if you're me. Pick up a Bible and read the Bible. You know, I've learned something. There, there is a, I, I have this app. It's called the Dwell Bible. And I love it. Um, it's, it there's a little subscription, but uh, I use it like crazy. Um, so it's, but I have, I have found that if I uh, get the Dwell Bible, and if I listen, I, I usually listen to audiobooks at about two times speed. That's just kind of where my, that's a good speed for me to process because those audiobooks, book readers are slow. I, anyway, just for me, like I, I've always been a fast reader, so I'm like, you got to read faster. And so I, I put it on two times speed. Do you, do you realize like in about 30 to 40 minutes a day, you can listen to the entire Bible in three months? About 30, 30 to 40. That's not that many. I'm in the car for at least that much during the day. And you know, like, like something that the Lord has taught me is when I listen to his word in context like that and I catch the whole of the story, that's powerful. Like I'm learning my heritage because I'm a Christian, therefore I'm an adopted child of Israel, right? So like I'm learning about, I'm not just reading the New Testament, I'm reading the Old Testament. I read the whole Bible four times a year if I do that. And it, I've, I've done it several times now and it is, it's been transformative for me. And I was a long-time Bible reader before I started this, but, like, but, but that might not be for everybody. But let me tell you, there's something for somebody. <laughs> there's something for everybody. Everybody, look, you can pick up the Bible, and you can read a chapter or two a day. And you can seek the Lord. And, and you, you know, write down what pops out to you and meditate on that. You know, like, let God work in your life. You want to be someone who hungers and thirsts after righteousness like Jesus. You want to be like Jesus. You want to have his flavor on you. You want to be someone who's turned away from yourself and towards Christ. It's a pursuit. It's not something that we can be passive about. Our core desire will lead us to our ultimate destination. That's the second thing we need to focus on and remember. Because here's what he says. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. If you're hungry and you're thirsty for righteousness, you're going to be satisfied in the Father. And here's what's really cool about that. The future of this world will be in, you'll be in alignment with the future of this world. And I'm talking about the one that God wrote to us about in Revelation. When the whole earth is full of the glory of God, when your passion is the glory of God and God's righteousness, when this whole earth is full of God's glory, you're not going to be out of place. You're going to be the kind of person that fits in a world like that. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Great Divorce. And if you've never read it, it's a great book. It's an allegory. And in the book, he describes people who have uh, gone to the afterlife, but they don't really understand that they're dead. 
And the whole thing is about being a kind of person who, uh, who kind of gets your mind wrapped around the goodness of God versus the goodness of this world. And as this person begins to realize the goodness of God as opposed to the, to the world, and their mind starts to change, they find themselves lighter, and they find themselves able to walk and approach and get closer to God. And, uh, and I love the allegory. It's just, it's just a really great story. Uh, it really, it's not just about the afterlife. I think it's a lot of it's about the Christian life in general. But, but we, the more that we, because God's glory, let's remember this, God's glory is incredible. And God should, couldn't show the fullness of his glory to Moses because um, Moses was still too sinful. And if God would have shown him his full glory, then it would have destroyed him. And God said, I can't, I can't show you my glory in its entirety. You can only see, you can just barely see the back of me when I pass you, and that's it. And how are we going to live in a world full of the, of the glory of God? We have to be made into something different. Not even Moses could endure it, I promise you. We can't. Your core desire will set your final destination. Not only does your core desire say a lot about who you are, but it will set your final destination because here's why. If your ultimate desire is righteousness, being right before the Father, everything about you is going to be channeled towards that. I make choices every day that I don't want to make. My flesh doesn't want me to go there. But I make choices every day that I, uh, things that I would, there are a lot of things I'd rather be doing. And by the way, there are some days I, I fail miserably at this. You know, a few days ago, I knew I needed to read my Bible, um, and, I have, and I didn't want to. <laughs> I, was just, I was just tired that day, and I was just like, Lord, I, I'm, I'm just not feeling it. And I was like, I'll tell you what, Lord, I'll do it later. And I sat down and I watched about 30 minutes of YouTube. And by the time I'd done that, I was really tired and I went to bed. And I didn't even think about picking up the Word that day. Until the next day, when I looked at my Bible reading plan, and I was like, oh, man. And I felt really crummy the next day, too. You know, like I just, in my heart of hearts, it's like something feels off. And then I realized I did not commune with the Father the day before. Everything about me was off that day. I'm still a work in progress. <laughs> but, but can we remember that Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. When you're a person who's pointed towards the, the Father, and your deepest desire is Him, and you're working towards it, you're getting yourself ready for the coming kingdom. And by the way, if you're in Christ, you're going to be in that kingdom. You might as well be getting ready for it. And another thing is, if we have this coming kingdom, this future kingdom, this future glory that, that God has given us and we're moving towards it, why in the world would we want to play over here in a bunch of junk? And, and C.S. Lewis, uh, one thing that C.S. Lewis once said was, was if you know you've, you've been given riches... If you, and you've, or, no, he says, if you know you've been given this incredible vacation to a beautiful tropical place, why would you stay home and play with mud pies? <laughs> with God's help, we can grow in our hunger and thirst for righteousness. But that's the critical thing, with God's help. You may be sitting there listening to this today, and you may think, boy, I just don't have it. I really, I, I struggle with what you're saying, too. I just don't have it in me. Well, Neither do I. 
when I make the right choice, it's not because I'm a great Christian. It's because I have a great Christ. And he's been merciful to me and he's been teaching me. And I'm, I am further along than I used to be. And that kind of blows my mind when I look at it. Like I see some, th- some days where there's things I used to want really bad that I don't go to anymore. But I know it's not because of me. Yeah. It's just because I've been hanging out with Jesus so much over these years that he's, he's been changing my heart. And, and so what I know about that, like what I know is true is if that's true for me, it's true for you. It's true for all of us. And so that's why I want to challenge you and encourage you. With God's help, you can grow to be a person who's hungrier and thirstier for righteousness than you are anything else. But it takes putting yourself in a place where the Father can actually rub off on you. you got to be with Jesus, right? Man, let's not forget our, our whole thing that we say. We're, we're here to help people to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and do the works of Jesus. Do what he did. But those are a progression. You have to first be with Jesus before you can become like Jesus, before you can do what he did. It's how we grow up in Christ. So I want to give us a couple of action steps and we'll be done today. I just want to encourage each of us to pray for our own hearts first and then pray for the world. I know a lot of us are so focused on what's broken in the world Can we pray about what's broken in us first? Because if we're salt and we're a preservative, the salt has to be right before the world can be preserved. we got to be salty. we got to have the flavor of Jesus if we want to see the world change. The world is not going to change until the church is fully engaged the way that that God designed us to be. And we can't change it all, but you know we can change our little part of the city that we represent here. And we're spread out all over the place. That means there's a bunch of parts of the city that could be touched by this. Second thing I, I think is to actively turn ourselves towards Christ. Each one of us make that active decision every day. I am going to turn my heart towards Jesus. I'm going to cap. When I see something that's going to draw my heart away from him, I'm going to capture that. I'm going to hand it over to him, and I'm going to say, "Lord, I'm coming to you. Change my heart." Thanks for listening to this podcast from New Covenant Fellowship. We'd love to connect with you. If God spoke to you today, if you'd like someone to pray for you, you can text us at 405-518-5164 or visit us at ncfokc.org to find other ways to connect with our church. God bless and have a great day.